Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast with your host, Cody Jansen. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 11 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, brought to you by CST Tires and hosted by me, Cody Jansen. It's been a few weeks since our Team USA episode, and I just wanted to give everyone a little update on what we got going on over here. It's been a little hectic. As some of you know, my producer slash brother Dallas had his tonsils removed, and he's been kind of miserable recouping from that, so we had to push the recording of this episode back just a touch. And also going back even farther than the last couple of weeks, my college workload has been daunting. So um, I've been kind of really strapped for extra time. And these podcasts take a significant amount of time and planning to do it the right way. So um, I really thank everybody that's bearing with us here. And, you know, I'm only about three weeks away now from the semester end and having my degree. So rest assured that we have um, so much cough, cough, legendary content coming out over the next two to three months. Um, and a lot of that. So you're going to be repaid for bearing with us through this time lapse. I can promise you that. We also got some amazing news prior to recording this episode. Um, both Yamaha and one of my biggest personal sponsors, Valvoline, have both agreed to come on board as support of the show. I'm so damn proud of this because it wasn't long ago that this project was just a dream. And in just 10 short episodes, two monumental brands like Yamaha and Valvoline's desire to support us has just legitimized us and our show that much more. And to piggyback off of that, I have to thank all of you listeners for your passion and support for us because without you, we are nothing. So that's really exciting. Um, and I guess let's go right into our, our sponsor reads quick. Let's thank them. So first and foremost, most thanks to our title sponsor cst tires csttires.com the pulse mxr tire is the best tire on the market no matter what the terrain join the cst takeover today or prepare to be beat by someone who did cst tires where passion meets the ground thank you ssi decals SSI decals was a key contributor to Team usa's winning efforts and by far the winningest decal brand in atv motocross and best looking. Their track record speaks for itself. If you don't use SSI decals, you will not win. Thanks to those guys. Thank you DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 X-Ring Chain. Team USA, Joel Hetrick, and myself all trusted DID's unrivaled chain quality and rivet clip all the way to championship victory this past season. Wherever you go, go with DID. Thank you Namira Technologies, Namira Pistons with an attitude. Namira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market since 2001 with their wide array of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits. Visit your local dealer or online at namira.com. That's N-A-M-U-R-A.com. Also, a big thanks to Bronco ATV and UTV components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. Whether it's electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, suspension parts, or bearing kits, Bronco is your hard parts source when it comes to whatever you need for whatever you ride. BroncoATV.com Thanks to 4Works Carbon for their continued support. 4Works will be having a big Black Friday sale this upcoming week starting at 7 p.m. Wednesday through Friday at midnight. Now is the time to get your carbon parts, hoods, seat covers, and more for 2020. Thanks to 4Works Carbon. 
Thanks, as always, to Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant. Upgrade to Evans now to avoid overheating and boil over next time you hit the racetrack. When conditions are at their worst, Evans is at its best. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 to save at checkout, evanscoolant.com. Thanks to DP Brakes, the unquestioned leader in motorsports and power sports braking. Thanks to DP for allowing Joel Hetrick, myself, and so many others to outbreak the competition every time we're on the racetrack. DPBrakes.com. Thanks to Blender's Eyewear, whose life and forward motion brand is the perfect fit to partner with our podcast. You won't find better shades for a more attractive price anywhere else. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP20 to save on the trendiest shades on the market. Blender'sEyewear.com. Thanks to Oats Overnight. Life is hard. Make breakfast easy. Simply combine with milk before bed and enjoy your to-go breakfast in the morning. Overnight oatmeal loaded with superfoods, perfect for athletes. Use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout, oatsovernight.com. And finally, thank you to Mountaineer Brand. If you know me, you know I love my beard. That's why I treat it right with Mountaineer Brand's all-natural washes, oils, balms, and more. Use discount code CODYSFAVE in all caps. That's C-O-D-Y. S-F-A-V in all caps at mountaineerbrand.com. From our new partners to our original sponsors, thanks for your support of this podcast and making this dream a reality for both us and our listeners. We pride ourselves in partnering with only the best brands in the industry, better your riding experience and your lifestyle by supporting the sponsors who support us. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is support our partners. And if you're interested in becoming a partner of the show, shoot me a message or email today for more details. Once again, thanks to all of our sponsors. Okay, so the Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant Sight Lap segment. And a quick disclaimer, I have been very careful to limit the mentions of my own racing on this podcast because from the beginning, I never wanted people to think that this was an avenue for me to just talk about myself. I've never wanted that. And um, through 10 episodes, I've really not mentioned much about my racing at all unless I've been prompted by a question asked from somebody. So for this one episode, upon the request of a few of our show sponsors and many listener suggestions, I'm going to tell my own racing story. Um, I've never stopped to think about you know, that plenty of our listeners don't know me personally, and they don't also know my background. So um, frankly, I guess I just never knew that that many people wanted to hear my story. So with that, guys, um, for the first time, you're going to hear from my producer slash my brother Dallas, who's going to kind of play interviewer for um, the episode here today. So I'm going to kind of be on the other side of the mic. And uh Dallas, say hello. Um, glad to have you know you back here in the studio, feeling a little better, and um, glad the surgery went well. Absolutely, thank you for having me. So uh, yeah, with that, let's get started. Okay, well, why don't we start from the very beginning? Where did it all start for you? How did you get into the sport? Um, well, you know, most people, as you know, um, with you know, with my parents' business. It's always been racing. So I think I got my first dirt bike when I was about three or four, maybe a PW50. And I remember very vividly being put on this PW50. I can't remember. It probably had training wheels. And in grandma and grandpa's backyard, they put me on this thing. And I don't think it really had a governor on it. At the time, the screw wasn't backed out on the throttle, and man, I got on that thing, and the first thing I remember is I was going completely uncontrolled across the backyard and pegged an evergreen tree, and uh, 
I, I guess I must have not been deterred really because I, I just my whole childhood um, I was always on dirt bikes and four wheelers and um, you know so like I said with the parent with my parents business you know we were always around I was always around racing stuff I mean there's pictures of me as a newborn at the racetrack with mom and dad and um, when you're younger, you know, your, your parents, your dad is your superhero. So I just wanted to be like dad. And, um, over time, um, that kind of just became, you know, that's what led me to racing, um, dirt circle track, oval track, because that's what dad did. He was like a local pro racing, um, circle track ATVs. And again, I just wanted to be like him. So that's what I did at an early age. I was probably, I was probably like seven or eight, I would say, by the time I'm doing that. And I remember just loving it so much. It wasn't even like a choice. It was just like, that's all I wanted to do. So I remember my very first race. It was at a track about an hour from here, a little, little tiny circle track. And um, I went into the first corner in my very first race. And I remember flipping and uh, getting ran over. And one of the flaggers took me to the side of the track, sat me down, and um, I remember them saying something like, buddy, you don't got to go back out there. And I don't know if I was crying a little bit or something. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to I'm gonna go out there and I'm going to race again. And in flat track, the race restarts when somebody crashes. So I got out there, and, and I don't remember how I did. Who knows? But, um, I mean, from that moment on, I was hooked. And I raced uh, circle track quads for a little while, and um, it was like stock class at the time. I mean, it was like strictly off the showroom floor, a little ATV with some tires and wheels. And um, then in the state of Wisconsin, something happened, and like they basically outlawed youth um, four wheeler racing. So I was kind of, I was kind of like. I don't know. Dad was still racing flat track. So we were going to be at the flat track races. So the natural progression was just to race flat track dirt bikes. Cause as a youth rider, that's all you could really do. They, they had canceled all of the, the, um, little peewee quad classes. So that's what I did. So I raced dirt bikes for a little while. And, um, growing up, I probably spent more day to day time on dirt bikes than four wheelers. I rode dirt bikes on like my little pit bike style track every single day. So I was really good on the TTs and I was terrible on the flat track because I didn't trust that slipperiness that, um, anybody that knows flat track dirt bikes, it's a slippery kind of deal. So I didn't trust that at all. So I'd be like struggling to qualify in these, you know, 20 rider little, little dirt bike, uh, circle tracks. And then I'd go to the TT and I'd crush everybody. I'd win the TT races. So that kind of stands out in my head. And, um, then there was a shift again and I was probably now I was probably like, 10, 11 years old, maybe, because the dirt bike thing was very short-lived. I mean, I liked it, but I wasn't very good. And again, dad was racing quads. My heart was still in quad racing. So um, so then something changed, and there was a little bit more quad um, youth racing again. Like, you could do that again. And I remember racing a TT National 2, um, and, and I was, like, in middle school. I was probably younger middle school age. And... Um, yeah, and I I remember racing the TT National and doing semi decent. I was like maybe got like a third or a fourth or a fifth or something like that. 
And, um, and I raced a little bit of circle track, TT racing, flat track stuff at home here. Um, but then at a local track, the closest track to my house here, just about 20 minutes from the house called Gravity Park, there was flat track on one side of the facility. There was, um, motocross on the other. And we were, we were at the circle track race over there and, um, and I was racing and dad was racing and I just, I remember dad telling the story of me, you know, pointing at the motocross and saying, Hey, I want to do that. And I mean, as far back, like I always had a love for motocross racing because all the legends back previous to that, like in the nineties, early two thousands, um, you know, the, the riders that I all looked up to, the Doug Gus, Shane Hitz, Tim Fars, um, you know, all those guys, Jeremiah Jones, everybody I looked up to raced both flat track and TT and motocross because it was all one series together at the time. And, uh, man, I just, I, so I always like, I, my, my heart was with the flat track and TT, but I always just, had an interest in doing motocross. And at the time, I mean, even our local series here was huge. There was three, 400 riders at some of these events. So it was just something I really wanted to do. So, I mean, we, um, credit to my dad, my parents at about that time was when my dad, and he was still at the peak of his powers, man. He was such a great flat track and TT racer. Um, he was the man around here. Again, he was like a local pro, local legend. It was weird when he did not win. Like he won, it seemed like he won 90% of the time or more. So, um, so yeah, that was really, really fun times. And we kind of just, he dove right into the motocross thing with me and the business too. At the time we were selling a bunch of suspension components and, you know, doing race quad builds and all that stuff. So a lot of the business was in the motocross side of things at the time when business was booming. Um, this is now the early 2000s, 2003 ish, 2002. And, um, yeah, I remember I raced a, like a CVT styles, an, uh, Eton and I raced an Eton flat track and then I raced a Dinley in the motocross. And, um, I remember I was like chubby little kid too at the time. And, but I remember that thing was so fast and I don't remember there being much of a transitional period. I just remember, man, I remember like always getting the whole shot always like running away. And then my quad always broke. Like something would always happen to be like lap three. I got a giant lead. My quad would break. So that was kind of the start of my motocross. And then I started, I got a blaster and I just started doing the, the motocross local thing. And, um, that would have been 2004, 2005. I'm racing a blaster locally. um, and doing pretty solid, but we had a really good group of kids back then, a really good group of national riders that won national races. And, um, so the, so it was a really good group of riders. And I remember, I remember, I guess it was before I was really hitting my stride. And I remember not qualifying at a local race. It was called the the champ race, um, the big event, big riders would show up for it. I remember like Dunkelberger showing up and other, you know, pros at the time, pro-am riders and stuff. And 
Um, but I was in a youth class at, at that time. And um, I remember I didn't qualify and I like went from being a chubby little kid. I was overweight. And I remember like that was what changed me. I thought if this is what I want to do because there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to be a pro ATV racer. And I went on this huge diet, completely stopped eating any sweets, any junk food. Like I threw myself into boot camp. And um, yeah, I mean the rest was history. I remember coming out the next year and um, we – I was racing like the youth class, like the like the 300EX slash blaster class at the time. And then I was racing C class and, uh, and I was like – I don't know, 12 years old-ish. And I won the C-Class on my blaster and I, at the local races here. And uh, the next year would have been 2006. And I moved up to the, the B-Classes locally. And um, I had an undefeated season in the B-Class locally. I went 88-0. Um, and the only time I, that was ever in doubt was... I did actually get beat one time, I guess. My quad blew up on the last lap of a uh, of a moto in the in the state races there. But um yeah, and then I I, I was like 13 or 14, I guess, and I moved up to A class at the end of the year and won my first A class race and at that time like I think I'm, you know, totally kind of on board to being like a future pro. So you can just see it's weird to kind of categorize it because it's like one thing just became the next thing, became the next thing. I mean, first I'm riding little dirt bikes and four wheelers and then I'm racing, I'm racing, you know, circle track just like dad. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm all, it's like, it just, it seems like instantly we're entrenched in the motocross thing. And then I start kind of, I commit myself, I'm doing a little better and I'm doing really good at local races. And I remember... Um, in 2005, I got a fifth at Redbud on my blaster. And man, I was, I thought I had, it felt like I had just, I don't know, won the world championship. And, uh, the next year I'm like, and we only went to the close nationals. So the next year I, um, I, finished sixth in the first moto at Sunset Ridge. And I went there thinking I was going to do really, really well. And I remember dad telling me, buddy, you're going to need to, you're going to need to really push the limit if you really, cause you know, it's like he's saying, Hey, if you really want to win, you're going to need to up it. And I remember going into Sunday and we're racing a really fast class at the time. I mean, that class was so fast back then. It was a premier class cause that was before there was super mini or schoolboy junior and senior. I mean, it was the 300 class was a big deal. And, uh, I remember hanging on for dear life, riding the wheels off that quad that day, and I actually won the second moto. I went 6-1, gave me second overall, and uh, I got protested in the second moto um, because nobody thought that somebody they had never heard of could win a national event in that class because it was so fast. And uh, I came completely off the radar, won that second moto. I was totally legal after they tore me down. And uh, kind of set the stage for um, that 2007 season. Um, so yeah, that was kind of what was next. Yeah, so definitely, I'm excited to hear about that 2007 season. That was a big one. Walk us through that. Yeah, so 2007 then, and, and I'm racing a class back home locally against really fast guys, pro am riders at the nationals, and like a couple local pros. 
um, or pros that were local to us, like um, Steve Runkle and you know, obviously Nick DeNoble and some of those good riders back then, Corey Gothier, Eddie Dejnev, I mean, really good riders that were all local to us. So I had the luxury of racing against some really fast guys every single weekend. And I would win, I would win races. I mean, I remember winning the, I remember winning championships that year and stuff. I mean, I won a whole lot more local races than I lost and I was racing against good guys. And I'm only, uh, I'm, uh, at the start of my first season, full-time racing A-class back home, I was an eighth grader and then a freshman in high school at the end. So, I mean, I was young and stuff. But, um, yeah, what you're talking about is the national season that year. And, um, yeah, so we had done well at that national in 2006 coming off the radar. And then in 2007, that was the year where the one big pinnacle of WPSA racing that kind of second national season or national series that all of the, the factories and all the big name riders were doing. Um, so yeah, that was my first national championship I ever won that year um, in the production lights class, which was the blaster slash 300 EX class. I won that national championship racing against Jeffrey Restrelli was my biggest rival. We seemed to duke it out at every single race. Um, down to the wire and I was racing against Jeffrey. I was racing against Mark Maddle who went on to be a pro pro rookie of the year. Um, I remember we raced, um, I was racing Jason Connell who went on to be a, like a factory supported, a factory affiliated Kawasaki rider. Neil McGrath was in there. Um, so there was, man, there was a really lot of fast guys and yeah, I, I, I knew like, um, I knew that to my path, I felt like I needed to get noticed. And that was at the peak of all the factory rides. There was all, there was a couple of Can-Am factory rides and Suzuki and Kawasaki and Yamaha. And, um, there was some, you know, Honda affiliated riders and Polaris was even around at the time. And I remember feeling like, man, if I win this, I might get some support, some real support. Cause it was tough for us to go to all the races, um, it took a lot of time and effort from mom and dad. And, um, I just remember being so committed and we won that championship. And then in 2007 and then kind of the recession hit and it was kind of like we got baited in thinking, Hey, you know, we're right at the, right at that time where there's going to be support available to us and riders like us. And then kind of didn't happen for us, but, um, that 2007 season, and then especially, you know, seeing where Jeffrey went and his career and some of the guys that we were able to race against that year, that was a lot of fun. So I'll never forget that 2007 championship year there. And, uh, I mean, to win a national championship and that had been all I had ever wanted to do, dreamed of. And also, I mean, I was only a few years into racing motocross in general. So, um, yeah, that was really special. I'll never forget 2007. So then, uh, jumping forward a little bit here, explain the significance of the Redbud National in 2011. Okay, so yeah, we're jumping a little bit ahead there. So in 2007, at the end of the year, I tore my ACL and um, riding a pit bike at home. And I had to race the last race of the year um, with a with a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus. And uh, I actually, at that event, 
with nothing in between my – nothing was left of my knee. I actually um, broke the top of my lower leg off. It chipped off because there was no cushion there when landing a jump. So not that that has that much to do with that, but that kind of set me back because in 2007 at the end then I had to have surgery. I mean even back then it's a, it's a little bit better now that we're a decade, you know, 10, 11, 12 years later here. Um modern medicine is so good. But back then it was like a nine month injury almost. So I remember I, I had the surgery in September. I didn't ride until it had to have been April, April or May of 2008. And, um, that was when in May I moved up to my birthday's May 5th. And I remember May 5th or May 6th that weekend was the the Sunset Ridge National, our closest national to home. So I made my I made my 450 debut um, right on my birthday weekend, and I won the 16 to 24 class, which again was a really fast class at the time. And again, I'm thinking, man, if I just go out there, I turn some heads. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get some support. And uh, I remember I went uh, to another event. Um, I think Pleasure Valley, Pennsylvania, and I won again there, but that support was just never there. I just couldn't get it, and again, that was the recession, the economy crash and stuff, and 2008 there, and for a handful of years, that was 2008, 2009, 2010, I mean, I was all in on my training, I was all in on being diligent, like this is still what I want to do. But And I'd win nationals every year, but I was only able to go to the close nationals. And I just, we didn't have the funding. We didn't have the support. We didn't have the ability to go to all the races. And there was like some dark days there, honestly, because like that's all I wanted to do in my whole life. I just wanted to be able to be a pro and race those races, those national events. And it like literally hurt me. Like I remember being in tears at times um, because... There was riders that, you know, I was like, I mean, I just felt more deserved than some riders to be able to go to those events and we just didn't have the ability to do it and it crushed me. So I just remember in 2011 being really, really fit. I worked so hard all summer long and it came to, it was the end of the summer and we were racing Red Bud. Um, and I went, I went one, one in 16 to 24. I went one, one in whatever the top a class was, I think four fifty a maybe. And then I got fourth in my first ever pro-am race. And I remember being on the podium for one of my wins and saying like pleading, like, man, I just, somebody give me a chance. Somebody give me some support. This is all I want to do is be able to do this. And um, if you give me some support, I won't be, you know, you won't be sorry. And I remember just a few days later, it was at the beginning of the week, I got a call. Dad got a call. My dad got a call from um, a guy named Phil Beerster. And he was affiliated with Roberts Racing at the time. And they were going to put together a team. And he wanted me to ride for them. And I just remember it was like, it was like Factory Yamaha called or something, and I just got this chance to be able to race the nationals that they were going to support me and support us, and 
Um, that was the significance of that day there. Uh, we, I had done enough and it was kind of, it was my goal, man. If I just do enough, this, this is like my last shot. I was, uh, so if it was 2011, I must've been, I was getting close to eight, 18 ish. So, I mean, I was kind of like at that age where you need to like, you're kind of at a crossroads. Do you go to school full time or do you, you know, do you go do the racing thing? So anyways, that was the significance of it. You know, we were going to go racing. I got the support. I got that phone call. It was life changing. It was the call I ever wanted. And, um, I still went to school. I've always went to school part time in the fall semester. And then, uh, for the first time ever, I had the ability to go south to train because I'm from Wisconsin here. So, you know, it's cold and snowy and sub-zero in the wintertime. So we went to Florida and met up with Phil and his daughter raced, um, Chloe Beerster, and she was really good women's rider or youth rider at that time. And, um, man, we just, we did the thing. And then that was 2012. So that was my, only the second time ever that I raced the whole national series. And, um, because I did in 2007 in the youth class and won, and then in 2012, I was racing the Pro-Am classes for, for Roberts Racing, um, you know, Beerster Racing there. And um, I got third in the Pro-Am class. And I was happy as could be, you know. We were racing Cody Gibson that year. And I think I got I, – I know I got a number of podiums. But I think I got either three or four seconds – and if it wasn't for Gibson, I would have had three or four wins. And, uh, you know, he was, a, he's probably the greatest pro-am rider of all time. So that was a little bit of a shame to have to race him late in his career on his best, best year ever of his career. But, um, man, I just, I, that's such a fond memory because that's what I just, I, for so many years, that's what I wanted to do. And I got the chance to do it. And I was just so grateful for the opportunity And, um, then there was a little bit of a shift because in 2013, they took the two pro-ams away and I didn't feel like I was ready for pro class yet. They were kind of trying to prompt everybody to move to the pro class because the pro class was struggling with their numbers at the time. So I needed one more year of kind of grooming my skills. So I moved back down as a number of riders did at the time, but I moved down to the A class and then I raced pro-am. I raced the top A class and the pro-am class at the time. And I won the A class. I went undefeated in the A class and, um, and won that national championship, my second. And I don't know, remember exactly how I did in points and pro-am, but I remember having a number of really good weekends and, uh, and, um, cause I got a number of podiums between those two years and pro-am and, um, but I, I, then I moved up, I made my pro debut at the end of that season. I had wrapped up the championship at goodness, maybe like steel city or something like that. I ran the number one in the A class at Unadilla and then at Redbud, I made my pro debut. So you can kind of see again, it was like everything just bled to the next. I did really good in Redbud 2011. I got that phone call. I got the support to be able to do the whole season in 2012 and I did well. And then 2013, I won a national championship and, um, that made my pro debut at the end of the year there and uh 
I remember I qualified top 10 and I was so worried that I wasn't going to qualify because there was guys that didn't make the show that weekend. And I qualified top 10, but I had, I had mechanical, like electrical problems for the races, but I still felt good that I had qualified for the races. And I remember the pro section and those big jumps and being scared almost to hit them, but I knew I had to because I was in the pro class now. And, uh, but it all ended up being a really, really cool experience and a fond memory. And, uh, yeah, then I guess, uh, then it was on to the next chapter. Yeah, so that takes us up to your pro career. So walk us through that. Yeah, it's mixed feelings on my pro career for sure um, because you always want more. And I won Rookie of the Year in 2014. Um, it was me and Brett Musig were battling for Rookie of the Year that year. And I, I, I wrapped that up with a few races to go or maybe a race to go. So I won Rookie of the Year in 2014, and then just for kind of the majority of my career there, I was just uh, close to, you know, I was just around the top 10. I had a, my sixth was a my best moto finish ever. I had a couple sevenths, a couple eighths. I remember qualifying top five at Walnut. I qualified fifth at Walnut in maybe like 2015, and that was, even though it was just qualifying, just to see my name amongst the top riders there, um, even on the qualifying sheet was, was really, really special to me. And I remember just all the nice comments and how proud everybody was of me. Um, that was a really good feeling. Um, but then in 2016, the clip that a lot of you probably have seen on, I know it still goes viral when it gets posted and it's on YouTube with like a million views, but um, if you compile the couple the couple videos of it, but I crashed really hard in Texas 2016. Um, I missed a shift on the on the face of a big jump, and I broke my eye socket. Um, my eye was swollen shut. And I hurt my back real bad and broke my ankle. And um, I raced the next day for points, and I raced the whole rest of the season there. But I'd probably, I mean, now looking back on it, maybe it wasn't the best decision because I think I probably did some long-term damage to my body, my back, my ankle um, at the time. But I just didn't want to, I didn't want to sacrifice, you know, I had the year prior, I believe, we had some really good runs in Pro-Am, and again, you know, we were just a year removed from being Rookie of the Year. I mean, I felt like my best days were ahead of me, and I didn't want to miss any races. So, and I and I have so much great support. You know, you want to be on the track for your sponsors, but I remember my my mind would go was going faster than my body would go would let me go. So that was 2016. And even in 2017, you know, we were a a consistent top 10 rider, but you're never shooting for just top tens. So I loved being a pro. I loved being, you know, being able to do that. It was my dream as a little boy, but it's also mixed feelings because I'm not overly proud of my pro career. Cause I think I was capable of a lot more than I ultimately achieved even though I did win rookie of the year and stuff but um you always just want more and I really feel like even still in me today is like 
man, if I just got back out there, I think I could really do something because there were spurts where I could run with fast, you know, the top half of the top 10 riders, you know, it was just, it never fully came together for me. And, um, but you know, it was something I'm super grateful for. I loved the ride. I was pro for five years and, um, you know, I loved what being a professional allowed me to do, you know, speaking to people, um, speaking in front of groups. And it kind of just gave you a clout to kind of influence people. And I was always, you know, I guess maybe we'll get into this a little in a little while here, but I always looked at my ability and my, um, my, you know, the, the, the privilege I had by being a professional gave me the avenue to be able to help and influence others. And, uh, that was kind of where I stood on that. I just, I'm just grateful to have been a pro and I got to do what I always dreamed of doing, but it also is like, man, I, I, I feel like I was capable of more and didn't reach my full potential. So that's why sometimes I still wish, even if it was just for a, a stint here or there, I still would like to get out there in the pro class just because I think my best days are still ahead of me. I think I'm the strongest I've ever been um, now. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of my pro career. It's mixed feelings because I had some success I loved every second of it, but the thing that people don't understand because you don't see it from the sideline is the pro class is so ridiculously tough and those guys are so fast and you're doing it against guys with, you know, not unlimited budgets by any means, but a lot bigger budgets than we had and guys that live on the road the whole time and um, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough. Like I explained and I've said it on the podcast already, but it's like a pack of bees. That's what it feels like because in front of you is crazy fast guys behind you is crazy fast guys. And then right around you is crazy fast guys. Like there's just this con. I just remember it being like constant pressure. Like you need to jump this jump. You need to get a good hole shot. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I guess in the process of all that, I lost a little bit of the fun and the enjoyment even though I loved doing it, but maybe the the riding itself wasn't as fun as it once was. And um, just because it's so tough, I just always felt like I just I just didn't have the because we I didn't have the ability to live on the road because that's a really big financial burden. And I feel like maybe I mean I was never lack of training or focus or nothing like that by any means. But, um, it was like, I just sometimes felt like I didn't have that little bit of an advantage that, you know, doing that would have given me. But again, I was grateful to be able to do it, especially for as long as I did for that number of years, which some people don't get the opportunity to do. And I had built a really good following. I always thought of myself and referred to myself as kind of a fan favorite. I feel like I was, I was really grateful that a lot of people followed me in my path and stuff. And, um, that was something I really enjoyed doing. And then, you know, that next year too, I came back and I raced 25 plus and that was mostly, 
that was mostly, it wasn't that I was ready to be done being a pro. It was mostly because of lack of support. And I was also not able to train, uh, go anywhere in the off season to ride. So I went to Daytona and, um, just didn't have any, any real seat time prior to that. And, um, it was, uh, but it wasn't, I wasn't ready to give up. You know, I still wanted to be at the races. That's still what I, what I enjoy and love more than anything. And so does my whole family. So, um, and I, and I, and I, I had really planned on going back to the pro class. I thought I'd get my kind of back in the groove of things of racing 25 plus, And then I'd go back to the pro class. Well, ultimately it ended up being that Nick Moser and I, um, were racing pretty hard that whole season, like neck and neck. And, um, I mean, it didn't, we were racing so hard and in such a good battle that I wasn't just going to bail on that. So he ended up winning the championship. I think I won three overalls, but, um, came up a little short of the championship there because I and it didn't help that I missed the South Carolina round because I just couldn't afford to go. And, uh, and yeah, but it was just great to be back out there racing and, um, man, I would have been heartbreak broken to not be there. So, uh. That was a lot of fun. And again, through all of that, I found the true love and enjoyment for the sport again. I was really enjoying the riding aspect of it, and I fell back in love with it um, in that year back of not necessarily being a professional because that it's just such a tough endeavor to be a pro. But I came back, and I, I, uh, I loved every second of 2018 and being back on the podium and um, – and that kind of brings us kind of to where we are now with this season. And now, please stand up and make some noise for our title sponsor, CST Tires. CST Tires and their Pulse MXR Tire have completely overtaken the ATV market. Used by Thomas Brown to clinch a third straight Quad Cross of Nations title, by Nick Janusa as he dominated the Montreal Supercross, and myself, Cody Jansen, as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears to a 2019 national championship in the Junior 25 Plus class. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics than the competition. Join the takeover or prepare to be beat by someone who did. CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. Check them out at csttires.com today. Anybody that I've gotten to try them, I've heard nothing but positive things back. SSI Decals is a name that is synonymous with ATV racing and synonymous with success. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. After making number plates and decals for riders like Chad Whedon, the company quickly took off. Today, you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI Decals. The graphics maker now supports all the top teams at ATV Motocross, as well as GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and, oh yeah, six-time NHRA World Champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship-level graphics, SSI decals. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 chain. This patented X-ring chain boasts a steel alloy construction for reduced weight, increased strength, and a longer chain length 
making it the optimal ATV racing chain. Pick up an ATV2 chain today at your local dealer or wherever DID chains are sold. Wherever you go, go with DID. We're pumped to bring on new partner, Namira Technologies. Since 2001, Namira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Namira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Namira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, visit your local dealer or online at www.namira.com. Namira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We are also pleased to announce our partnership with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits, Bronco is your hard parts source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world, visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. We are also supported in part by Evans Waterless Power Sports Cooling. The best power sports coolant on the market, Evans prevents overheating and boil over so you never have to worry about harming your engine or having a premature end of your ride due to overheating no matter what the condition. Designed for use in ATVs, UTVs, motorcycles, snowmobiles and more, use what the pros use. Upgrade to Evans today. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes. DP has been dominating the ATV world for a while now by supporting riders like Joel Hattrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Nick Danusa, Baldwin Motorsports, JB Racing, Root River, myself, and more in ATV motocross. In GNCC Racing, they have all of the top 15 XC1 pros using DP, including the likes of Walker Fowler, Jared McClure, Chris Borich, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, and more, not to mention Hunter Hart and the top four XC2 riders. These riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them consistently on the top of the podium. Available at dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or even message me for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders in the world on DP brakes. Forworks Carbon's innovative lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber and plastic hoods, tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, Forworks has goodies that'll make you salivate. I trust Forworks for increased function and a sexier look. Forworks Carbon, always working hard to bring high-quality, innovative parts to the market. Check them out today. Well, you touched on uh, feeling the strongest you've ever been, and that was pretty evident uh, through this season. So why don't you walk us through walk us through this year? Yeah, for sure. Um, so again, like my program was pretty much the same. I didn't get to go anywhere and ride in the off season. Um, so I came into Texas the first round there with very little seat time. I just had ridden an indoor track like a few times, maybe like two or three times in the off season. But I went to Texas this year, and, uh, man, it started off really good. This season started off really good. I went 1-1 at Texas with basically no seat time, so I felt like it was all up from there, and uh, I was happy with that. And um, then we went to the second round, and, again, like some people are going to – this is going to be familiar for some people that have been following along my my kind of countdown thing on the – 
on social media leading up to the to the uh, banquet here. But we went to the second round, and I won the first moto, so I was three for three on motos, and um, and then I at the beginning of the second moto, I could feel something was wrong, so I got the whole shot or. Um, made an early pass for the lead, but I think I got the whole shot and was kind of sprinting away and I could feel something was wrong with my quad. So I started to baby it. And, uh, the more throttle I gave it, the more it like messed up. It felt like an electrical problem. So I was literally having to ride with like half throttle and man, by the, I remember hitting the finish line, taking the white flag and thinking I literally was in the air praying to God, let me just finish this race. Because, man, winning the first two races, I would have been already setting myself up to do really good, um, you know, long term throughout the season. Because I had visions of kind of like I had in the 13 season. I hoped to be dominant, win all these races, put the number one on my back for a race, and then maybe bump up to the pro class at the end of the year. That was really my plan. And it just never worked out that way. Kind of starting at that second round, I was leading. I was checked out in the second moto. I'd prayed to God that let me just my quad make it this last lap. I remember about halfway through the last lap, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make it. And literally in the next breath, in the next second, my quad like just about died. And then it started going again. And I made it until there was three corners left. In my quad killed, like I killed the, like I pulled the kill switch. And all the riders went by me, or a couple riders went by me, and I was hearing people in the background cheering me being broke down. And uh, I kicked and I kicked and I kicked and I kicked and I kicked. And it, I had to kick that thing 50 times, I bet, at least. And it started somehow, I don't know, but it started. And I went the next, like, section and a half pinned almost just trying to keep this thing alive and it died in the last corner and I got off and I pulled that thing up the finish line I pushed it across the finish line and I think that gave me third overall I think um so yeah but I was I was three for four on motos but that one kind of set me behind the eight ball there that threw off because I should have had a perfect score through the first four and then we went to South Carolina and I went one, one at South Carolina. So I would have been six of six, but I ended up being five of six moto wise. Next was muddy Creek. Um, and I won the first moto at muddy Creek, made a really nice pass for the lead and won the first moto. I remember I thought something was going on with my engine. So I pulled motors in between motos there. Um, just to be totally safe. But the only thing is I knew that other motor didn't start real easy. So it just by chance, it came to bite me because so I won the first moto. So at this point I'm what I'm six of seven motos that I've won. And, uh, other than the DNF I had or not DNF where I had to push it across the finish line. And, um, in the second moto, in the same corner, I, I hadn't got the whole shot. Michael Allred had got the whole shot, who rode really well that weekend, and he rode well all, all year long. And um, I remember in the corner I passed him in in the first moto, he was really covering the inside in the second moto. And I knew even if I didn't make the pass there, I had to be really, really close because Muddy Creek's a pretty hard track to pass on. 
and we actually just got together. I just kind of contacted. It's a real slow corner there for for those of you that know that kind of around the around the tree there, right up in front where they had those kind of offset rollers right in the middle of the corner. I contacted his rear tires and it snubbed my bike and uh, killed my motor. And I that again, that was the motor I put in there that I didn't think I'd have any problem, but it was the motor that had a hard time starting. It didn't start as well. And I kicked it for a whole lap. I'm pretty sure I went the lap down. And uh, so... Um, so yeah, I, I, that was my worst weekend of the year. I don't know what I got overall, like fifth maybe or something with a, a one in the first moto. And I don't know what I ended up in the second moto, but so that was a downer. So then at that point, like I was starting to develop this, this pattern of being, you know, having a great weekend and then something weird would happen and then I'd have a great weekend and something weird would happen. So that trend continued into the next weekend at Walnut at Sunset Ridge, Man, I felt so good on Friday. I was just locked in and I was I knew I was kind of at that pivotal point in the season cuz even though I had won every moto but two, the way that they it had, I had had mishaps in the second moto um of those races and it just set me behind. So I wasn't doing as well in points as kind of my my performance had showed to that point. So it's kind of at a pivotal moment we had to get this thing back on the tracks, back on the rails and um, we did that at Walnut. I remember, like I said, I felt great on Friday, but then the rains came and it was like, there was puddles on that track on Saturday that submerged the whole four wheeler. But I remember, and I've showcased this kind of in my post about that event was I was so proud because, you know, we, dad and I, and then we have one or two close mechanic friends of ours that kind of build, build this whole race program of mine. So, to have come up with a to have come up with a race program that we have that's strong enough to survive those events survive those kind of conditions um it's really prideful i'm really prideful of that so actually the conditions were so bad that i was the only rider to end the to end the um, first moto on the lead lap. I had lapped everybody else that remained on the racetrack. So I uh, actually got the whole shot, but hit a giant puddle on the first lap, shot me off the racetrack. I'm behind Michael Allred. I'm really worried about taking on too much water and mud roost and uh, made a good pass for the lead there. And uh, kind of set sail and did my own thing. And again, I don't, something maybe happened to his quad at some point or something. But again, I, I ended up as the only rider on the lead lap. And I was really prideful of that. And then we went into the second moto and, uh, and I won the second moto in dry conditions. And, um, we kind of got this thing back on the rails and, uh, and we went 1 1 at Walnut at our closest race to home. And, um, that was kind of, kind of a, again, a pivotal moment for the, for the for my season and um next would have been Unadilla and I love Unadilla and we had just built a brand new motor for that weekend cuz it's the home of horsepower so we wanted it to be as strong as possible and again I felt great on Friday and uh <laughs> fluke deal it was a kind of a faulty engine part that was brand new and we blew up a motor on Friday practice. So I had to ride my practice bike the rest of the weekend on a tired, tired ass motor. And on the, on the, the fastest home of horsepower track of the year, go figure. And then 
and this is the second year in a row that this has happened, but at the biggest uh, numbers race of the year, there was a full gate in our class in 25 plus, and I picked dead ass last gate pick randomly. And for the second year in a row that happened, and for anybody, for all you listeners that know Unadilla, have been there, have seen it, being on the outside at Unadilla is a serious, serious disadvantage. Feels like you're a mile away from the guys on the inside, a mile away from the first corner. So I remember getting a really good hole, sh- uh, really good jump. And I remember thinking I'm going to get the damn hole shot. And I would have if I wouldn't have been so far outside. But when I kind of came up on the first corner, I had to go so much farther than everybody else. Um, that, you know, the top, the top, guys or whatever snuck in the to the first corner in front of me but i survived the first corner because my biggest fear i had no room for error at this point that the the points were nip and tuck and i remember i was just so worried that something was going to happen in the first corner and it was going to blow my chance of i mean i needed to have a good weekend there so i made it to the first corner i was probably mid top 10 maybe a little bit to the second half of the top 10. I was probably like seventh or eighth. And then there was a big carnage in the first, in like the underbridge section. So that's like three corners into the race or four corners into the race. And this, and, and again, too, like that, that weekend was the most stacked the class was the whole weekend. I mean, obviously me and Michael Allred are better battling for the championship and creamer, Josh creamer showed up to ride a PRP, um, PRP ride that weekend and he had done that a number of years earlier and Richard Pelshat was racing and um and I mean there was just it was stacked the class was stacked and then it just there's a lot of fast riders that come from that New England out east area so you always know that you're going to have to fight a little bit extra hard at Unadilla so that compiled with having last gate pick and that whole deal and riding my practice bike because my brand new race motor blew up the day before and stuff. So um, I survived the first corner. I survived that melee. And then I put my head down and I ran to the front and uh, ended up finishing second. So I turned a 17th or 18th gate pick into second in the first moto. And that was phenomenal. I was so pumped. I felt as if I had basically won because I'd, I had fought my ass off in the first moto for an, a fair opportunity in the second moto to have a good starting spot and a chance to win the overall. Um, <laughs> and go figure, we're on the line for the second moto and a pop-up hard thunderstorm rain shower comes and uh yeah there's there's that and i didn't get the whole shot i needed it was one of the it ended up being like the only mud race of the whole weekend there was maybe one other one where it was raining and uh i just didn't get the whole shot i needed um so by the time i had got up into the top three I was out without tear-offs and just kind of in survival mode. I'm, there's people out there that are going to know what that feels like. And I kind of just had to take – I mean, I, I just – so I wear contacts. And you can't remove – I just – I've done it times in my pro career where it really messed up my eyes and made it, I mean, miserable for days and for weeks and scratching my eyes and all these things because it gets behind your contact and it's just the most miserable feeling I think I've ever felt. So taking my goggles off just isn't really an issue. It isn't an option for me. 
um, with being a contact wearer and maybe some of you contact wearers. I know Jeffrey Rastrelli is one of them. Um, you'll maybe know how that feels, but it's just not an option. So I couldn't take my goggles off to make a charge at, at the overall win. And, um, Creamer ended up winning the second moto. Michael Allred got second in the moto. I got third and Mike won the overall and I got second overall. So it felt like a blown opportunity because I blew the opportunity by not getting a good enough hole shot in the second moto. But with all the stuff we endured that weekend, um, I mean, the blown engine, the last place gate pick, the fight to the front there, the rain in Moto2 to have gotten a second didn't even feel that bad, honestly, um, even though it felt a little bit like a missed opportunity solely because Unadilla is one of my favorite tracks. But I knew heading into Redbud that the um, – the best guy those last four motos was going to win a national championship because we were basically even um, heading into those last four motos. So then Red Bud, and you would have thought that, you know, kind of this up and down trend was going to continue, but Red Bud was another one that uh, they dealt us a tough hand there because, again, I felt great on Friday, same same old story. The first moto, I get the whole shot, and I am sprinting away on a track I feel great in. And for the first time in my career, this has never happened to me prior to this, I had a rocket stuck in my front rotor in the Monza wall section, and I cartwheeled down the backside of the Monza wall. And uh, down before the flag jump, I'm down there laying underneath my quad as the guys go by me, and I'm thinking, I just blew the national championship. It's going to be gone. It's going to be over. And I remember I flipped my quad over and got up as fast as I could and passed as many guys as I could. But I believe I got seventh in the first moto. And I came off the racetrack. I got back to the pits, and I broke down. I I couldn't help but cry. Um, and the tears were because I thought I had just blown my opportunity at the national championship that – that eluded me the year before, and then you know this year it was like, man, I'm going to have been the fastest rider all year, no doubt, and I'm not going to win the championship. So I cooled down, and I wasn't—I was just so devastated. I sat in the trailer, in the back of the trailer, there for a while on the floor, and just cried. And uh, I knew the next day all I could do was win and just kind of let the cards fall where they fell, and. Uh, I made a quick pass for the lead. I think I came out second, made a quick pass for the lead, and put on the burners. And uh, I just wanted to win by as much as physically possible. You know, I for most of the year, I just, I just rode, you know, strong to the best of my ability, but, like, to be easy on my equipment because when you do all this wrenching and building your stuff yourself, you want to be easy on it kind of. But – Man, in that race, I was trying to go as fast as physically possible, and I was running lap times where that, that were three or four seconds a lap faster than anybody on the racetrack. So I built a big lead. I won the race. I said this on my social media post the other day when I talked about this event that I, uh, I was screaming at the top of my lungs when I crossed the finish line, and some of that was because I just dominated that second moto. The other aspect of that was because I – was still so devastated and frustrated from the day before when I had that just fluke bad luck happen. And um, now today I wasn't going back. I wasn't going back into the trailer to shed some tears. I was racing back to the trailer to crunch the numbers to see where I was going to stand in this uh, 
in this points race because I was worried that it was going to be the ball wasn't going to be in my court. And after crunching the numbers and then again and then again recounting them, I was you would have thought I would have won the race. Dallas, you were you were there. Mm-hmm. And I I would you would have thought I would have won the race. I was so overcome with emotion because the points had worked out just perfectly that after, like I said, I think I either got sixth or seventh in the first moto, then I won the second moto. That ended up being third overall, and everything fell into place that no matter what any other rider did, and it was Michael Allred who I was battling with, no matter what he did at the finale, if I won Loretta's, I won the national championship. And that's the only opportunity that I wanted and needed. So... Man, I was so happy. Um, and then Loretta's came, and um, we were battling a little issue with one of my quads. So I ended up riding the practice bike because I wasn't having the electrical issues with it that I was with the other one. And uh, I remember the first moto, I won. And like there was pressure for both motos. So, and just a note Michael Allred was there on Friday. And then he had a devastating family um, loss, and he had to head home. So that was terrible for him. And again, even to this day, I'm keeping him and his family in my thoughts and prayers. But um, it didn't matter as far as the points go, because if I had not won, the way that the that the throwouts and drops would have um, played out, he would have won. Um, he would have won the championship even though he wasn't competing that weekend because of that loss. So the pressure was still on for me, just the same as if he was there, because I had to win for my only chance to win the championship. And in the first moto, I uh, man, I remember having a big lead. I don't know exactly how many seconds, but it had to be 20-second lead. Um, and I won big in the first moto. And then going into the second moto, um, Man, I, I remember just feeling a little bit overwhelmed, so much pressure, not from the racing aspect of it. Like I knew I was strong and good and I'd do anything I had to do to win the race. It was more I was just worried about having some fluke thing happen with my quad or, you know, it had just been one of those years where we had been dealt so many weird cards that, uh, you know, I was really worried about that. So I rode that whole second moto. Um, and I came out second, I passed early into the lead and just kind of went out and did my thing and finished with a nice little gap. But man, I remember overthinking every single little noise that that quad was making. Um, it was just, it was nerve wracking, honestly. And, uh, I rode that thing home. We went one, one at Loretta's. We won the championship. It came down to the wire and, uh, I won by one single point and I just, I came off the track and was yelling and screaming and jumping around with, with mom and dad there. And, um, man, I was just, I had dreamt of that, that moment for, uh, for a number of years and then to achieve it, having been dealt all the things that we did and having our backs up against the wall and the week before thinking that the championship was over because I, you know, we had that rock situation and it's just to have gotten there after all we had been through made it that much more special. So, um, 
I mean, th- it's an unforgettable year. I'll never forget this this year that we had and winning my third national championship. And uh, man, it just it was a dream come true. It was so 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 special to me, and just grateful for all the people that helped me get to where I am. You know, and uh, I rely on so many people for support and. Um, it's just a, just a magical year to win the national championship. And again, having been through all that and to win it by just one point has made it that much more special. That's great to hear. So before we wrap things up here, you have an, an article here and I want to, uh, hear you read the final excerpt from this article. Um, I think it does a really good job of showcasing the deeper meaning that this sport has for you. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. So the... I wrote this article um, last year for um, for uh, something that's called the Campfire Collective, and it's kind of like an outdoor, it's an outdoorsy kind of uh, you know um, activities like lifestyle type of writing. And I wrote this piece kind of about ATVs and stuff. So yeah, I'll read that and kind of go into this. So. Um, So I wrote this in the final excerpt here. It says, as I sit here as a 27-year-old man who loves ATVs more than ever, I love the outdoors, the adrenaline rush, and all the other things people associate with the sport that we love. But the things that aren't as easy to see on the surface are the things that I may enjoy the very most. From an early age, ATVs were my motivation. I was taught that good grades in school were mandatory to be allowed to race by my parents. I knew training and eating right was necessary to be the best athlete I could be even as a child. I didn't go to high school parties or take any risk of getting in trouble because I had lofty goals, dreaming one day of becoming a professional ATV racer. Today, I'm a 27-year-old professional ATV motocross athlete who has never drank a drop of alcohol, never experimented with any sort of drug, never had any exposure to tobacco, and it's all thanks to ATV racing. This journey I've been on has displayed much more like a novel than anything else. Chapter 1 was my introduction to ATVs. Chapter 2 was entitled Just Like My Dad. Chapter 3 would have been I Want to Be a Professional. Chapter 4, Impossible is Nothing with Hard Work. Chapter 5, Success, Making the Most of an Opportunity which then brings me to the chapter I'm in now, chapter six, my why. I use ATV racing as a vehicle to impact the lives of others in a positive way. Since the beginning, I wanted to be the best racer I could be, but I strive to also be the best man I could be as well. My status inside the ATV motocross community enables me to use my position to help others to inspire, to help others to inspire, and to be a role model to the youth of the sport. Whether it's through my riding schools or tips at the track, a conversation in the pits, or just by leading an example on and off the racetrack with my actions, my world, my being, my life, all of it has been shaped by ATVs and teaching me everything I know along the way. Some people will never understand the love that we have for these 400-pound, four-wheeled machines. Those same people probably have never felt the rush of hitting a corner just right, the accomplishment of clearing a jump smoothly, or the feeling of freedom while behind those handlebars. Those people who wouldn't understand the positive, those people also wouldn't understand the positive influence and impact that these machines have had on us riders and others. Somewhere out there, maybe 
a child doing laps in the yard, pretending to race Cody Jansen, just like I did all those years ago when I was pretending to be racing Tim Fard, Doug Gust, Shane Hitt, and others. I am proud to say that ATVs continue to be who I am, make me who I am today. ATVs are my why. So go ahead and elaborate just a little bit more for us on there. What does it all mean to you? I mean, I kind of said it there in the piece that I wrote. It's everything I know. It's everything I've ever done. It's my whole life. It's given me purpose. Um, You know, even as a young boy, and I said it in the piece, but at a young age, ATVs were my motivation. So I didn't ever, I mean, I never, ever wanted to go to parties. I never even thought about, you know, doing anything questionable with friends or experimenting with stuff. That was just never a part of anything I wanted to do because I wanted to be Doug Gust. I wanted to be, you know, Chad Weenan. I wanted to be all the guys that I looked up to. And, um, and I just never wanted to chance that. So I did well in school or as well as I could do because I knew that mom and dad then would do everything that they could to get me to the races. And, you know, I've always looked at, and again, I said it in the piece, but I've always looked at the, the ability that I was given, um, to race ATVs at this level was my, I was given that ability so that I could influence others, help others and show them, um, what's, uh, achievable if you lead a life the way I, I kind of led my life, um, making the, you know, I always say it as our family has said it as doing the next right thing, making good choices. And, um, and again, I've always tried to give back to others, tried to lead by example. And still to this day, I mean, it's just what I absolutely love to do. I love all of it. I love, I love working with sponsors. I love working in the shop. I obviously love riding my my ATV. I love the gym training. I love I love all of it. And now, you know, the podcast has become a whole nother avenue for me to, you know, try to help build the sport, grow the sport, work with others. Um, even in the in the posts I've been doing now on the on the podcast. Um, on their social media account, you know, I try to tell old stories and feature old pros and just the, all the stuff that made me love the sport. I'm just trying to give it back to others who love the sport. So ATV racing is what I do. It's always, it's always what I've done. It's what I'll do as far as I can, you know, as long as I can do it. I, uh, they say, and I heard this quote, it's, it's from Ryan Hughes. Um, and he said that, you know, you die, they say you die twice. You die when you retire from racing and then you die when your life ends. And, uh, I'm just trying to survive just a little bit longer. I'm just trying to live a little bit longer, hold on a little bit longer. Cause this is what I love to do. And just to bring it full circle here. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want to be remembered for someday? Your legacy? Oh, I guess it, it that it's kind of all the same what I just kind of tied into, you know. I I hope that and I don't necessarily ever want to be remembered on my accomplishments on the track. I just uh I hope that people remember me 
for the love of the sport, somebody who gave everything he had to the sport and somebody who, you know, they maybe proudly looked up to or, um, or something of that kind. You know, I, like I said, I've pride myself in all the stuff I've done for others. Um, and kind of the way I've carried myself over the years. And that's what I want to be remembered for more than anything is, uh, you know, again, I'm not, was never the greatest pro. I was a top 10 pro. Um, but I just want to be remembered for a guy that, uh, surely loved the sport and literally gave everything he ever had to it. And I mean, who knows, we could be doing this podcast 20 years from now and still giving back to the sport. So, uh, fingers crossed. Great to hear. Great to hear. Well, it's been, uh, awesome to relive this with you today. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to relive those memories. It's been a, it's been a, been it's been fun to relive them and rehash them and uh it's been um a lot of fun to have uh to hear your voice on the podcast too so maybe we'll have to get you interviewing more people for us let's not do anything crazy (laughs) all right dia thank you so much for doing this with me absolutely well guys that's my story i hope you enjoyed it but if you didn't we'll be back to our regularly scheduled program this upcoming week with a pre-banquet show with legendary mechanic and industry guru casey greek who will join the show um thanks now more than ever to my producer slash brother dallas i couldn't do it without you d thanks to taylor smith for her amazing graphic design work thanks to our sponsors cst tires ssi decals DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Blenders Eyewear, Mountaineer Brand, Oats Overnight, and soon coming on board, Yamaha and Valvoline. Support the brands that support our show and don't forget to use those codes to save. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support via Patreon if it suits you. Simply visit our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, and click the Support on Patreon button. This contribution will help prompt continued growth and improvement of the show, and perks will be available to those who contribute. We greatly appreciate it. And remember, you can always call us with your questions, concerns, and topics, really anything, and you can be a part of the show by calling our voicemail hotline anytime. Call us today at 920-569-3519. That's 920-569-3519, and we cannot wait to hear from you. We have a lot of great content coming, including another episode this week. And the best way to ensure that you won't miss anything is to subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and by following the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for any behind-the-scenes action as far as the podcast goes. Thank you to those who did listen to this episode here. I do really appreciate it. It means the world to me. And from the bottom of my heart, guys, I just can't thank you enough for listening. Um, Without you, we wouldn't be doing this. So keep that support of the show coming. Keep those screenshots coming of when you're listening. I'll keep reposting them, and um, we'll keep the the content coming. We got a lot of awesome stuff coming up, and uh, 
I know I've gotten a lot of comments on the, the kind of the retro and statistic based social media posts that I've been doing, and we're going to continue to do that because people are really enjoying it. So again, subscribe to the show, give us a rating, tell your friends, share our posts. It all really helps, guys. Thank you again for listening to my story. Thanks for listening in general. And you know, with that, I'm your host, Cody Jansen. And until next time, thanks for joining us in digging deep with the stars of ATV Motocross. 